Well, good morning. Uh, this morning we're uh, starting into a series on Philippians, and I've just asked uh, Adam Van Rees, this is Adam, uh, to just read this text from Philippians chapter 1 this morning. And uh, we don't have it on the screens intentionally. Uh, you can turn and follow in your Bibles if you want, but I'd also encourage you just to listen to the Word of God spoken to you. And so even you might want to just close your eyes and listen, but Adam is just going to read uh, Philippians chapter 1 for us as we begin. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. As this is my prayer, that, you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with filled with fruit of righteousness and comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love. Knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that youth that through your prayers and for the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for me that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through, the, through being with you again in your, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about your in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to, to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now I hear that I still have. Thanks, Adam. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text that 
uh, instructs us, that it challenges us, it helps us to see more of who you are and what you have done. And I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would do a unique ministry uh, among us today. And God, that you would uh, connect and just be very real uh, by your Spirit uh, in the hearts and minds of each person that is here today. And that we would just be aware and awakened to your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a, a Facebook account, a Facebook account that I rarely use, which is apparently quite common for men my age, um, so I don't think I'm the only one. Uh, but sources tell me that on that Facebook account that there is in the profile section a place where you can actually click a box that tells you a little bit about, tells people about your relationship status. And it would have some of the things that are more uh, obvious or more apparent or things that you would expect to see there, like married or single or something uh, else like that. But apparently there's also one there that, that simply says it's complicated. Now, I remember being in that phase, you know, decades ago uh, before I met Lisa and before I was married and so on. And maybe I would have checked that off if we had Facebook back then. Um, but, you know, it's different now. And then you get married and, and then, well, you realize it's still complicated. Um, it's just different. Uh, I'll stop now. Um, But we know that life in general is complicated. And I think that for many of us, we could check that box in one way or another related to different aspects of our lives. But we would say when people ask us about, even if we were honest, if they were asked us to answer how we are doing, we would say, well, it's complicated. And we're going to have a look uh, at that throughout this series. And I, I wonder if the Apostle Paul had... Facebook back in the day, if he actually was sitting there in prison and going uh, surfing on the web with the internet, if the Wi-Fi was good enough in the uh, prison cell, and, and trying to figure out, okay, what would I click on this box? What would I check off as he's thinking about the various stat- things of his life, the status of his situation, and what he's going through actually being in prison, as he's thinking about his relationship with God, as he's thinking about his relationships even within the churches and these people that he's communicating with in a variety of ways. My guess is, is that he too would probably say, well, it's complicated in many ways. In the next couple of weeks, uh, we want to look at some issues that are complicated issues. They're complex. They're not simple. They can't be reduced down to very simplistic things in any ways. And we're going to do that Uh, by looking through the book of Philippians and looking at what this text says. Now, some of these issues arise out of the text, but we'll also look at some issues that don't directly uh, arise out of the text, but they, in some ways, as I think about it, they, they almost collide with the text. As the reality of our lives and some of the difficulties that we experience Uh, come against this text in Philippians and some of the things that we see. We want to look at that uh, together. And so we are wanting to teach the text as we see Philippians, but admittedly so, coming with an agenda and coming with some selectivity of some of the application points uh, as we approach the text. The truth is, is that we always come to text typically with agenda and selectivity, but now we're just being right up front and honest about it. So if you're a Bible reader, and I hope that you are so, you might be one who looks at Philippians, and this might be one of your favorite books of the Bible. If you're somebody who loves to read Scripture, my guess is is that this would be a a, a text that would be somewhere on your top list. 
would be my guess. I even see some heads nodding there. Uh, and so I, I would imagine that that would be true for many people. If that's not a familiar text to you, I would encourage you, even in these weeks throughout this month, to immerse yourself in the book of Philippians and all that is in there uh, for us. It is a letter, and again, as we often sometimes maybe forget, but this is a letter, a personal letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, and, and written to these people in this church in the city of Philippi. And it's a unique letter in all kinds of ways. Written to real people, written to real situations, real circumstances, real life challenges, things that they are going through. And we'll see as we walk through this text that there are a number of themes that come out uh, throughout this letter, just like there are in all of Paul's letter, letters. But we'll see that there are numerous themes that are in this one as well, themes such as Christian unity. Paul talks a fair bit about that, about the importance of being unified as a body of Christ and why that is so important. And he talks about the things that undermine unity and he talks about the things that also build unity. Another theme that comes through in this, in this letter is the whole idea of suffering and the problem of suffering and the depths of suffering, and, and that comes through uh, throughout this letter as well. Um, similar to other texts and letters that Paul wrote, he also picks up on this theme of God's grace and also human works, about how does these two things work in relationship, about the grace of God and that God is the one who is sovereign And yet we also have a role to play. And so he wrestles with that. And then also the relationship between the church and the world. The church and the the city or the area surrounding it. He talks about that with the people of of Philippi as well. But another one of the central themes that comes through in this text, and often what this, this book is known for, is this theme of joy. Is this theme of rejoicing. This this idea that, that we are called to be people who rejoice. And I think it's about 16 times that that word joy or rejoice pops up and shows itself in this text as Paul is is talking to these people in the midst of their situations that they find themselves in. If you look in in chapter uh, 1, verse 3 to 6, Paul starts off, even in the greeting, speaking about joy. He says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it, until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And so right here in his greeting, he's talking about joy and and this expression of of what he feels for these people that he he is partners with in, in the gospel. And you almost get a sense as you walk through this letter that this might even be his favorite church. As Paul, as a, as a church planter and connected to all of these different churches in these different cities, you kind of get a sense that this may be one of his favorite, if not his favorite, church. And he points to this reality even in that first verses of, of the God who is faithful, faithful, this God that we worship, and that he continually points these people to and how God is faithful to complete and to com- continue the work that God began, began in them. And so he also points to this truth that this joy is an unusual joy throughout this text. We see that over and over again in a variety of ways, that his joy did not come from his circumstances. His joy did not come from what he was experiencing in his life externally, and I would argue that not even what was going on in his life necessarily internally within his own heart and soul as well. 
And so as we read in, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12 to 14, he says this, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. And so we see right here in his text, Paul articulates the truth that he's in prison. His circumstances would not be one that would uh, lend itself to being a person who would express joy because of that. So he has a, a prison time or a period, and he's awaiting trial. And we'll also see during this text that he has a sense that, and he knows that his, his future in terms of the trial outcome is unknown. And it actually could lead to his execution. So here's Paul sitting in prison, waiting for this trial, doesn't know the outcome of what that's going to bring, and knows that at the end of that, he could be executed, and it could lead to that path of death. But his joy is found in the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what excites him and what he expresses joy about is where he sees the traction that the gospel is getting in the hearts and lives of people, where it's making a difference as people are encountering Jesus and their lives are being changed and transformed as they are understanding the hope and the truth of the gospel. That's where his joy comes from. We'll see in this text, and we see it right here in chapter 1, that there is a tension that joy seems to have with pain. That even though joy is a dominant theme and this call to rejoice is there, that there is also this tension because parallel with it, it seems, is this suffering and pain that is there. There is this pain side of joy that you cannot ignore. And Paul didn't ignore that. If you look in your bulletins at the top of your study notes, you'll see that it says the plain side of joy, which is actually just a typo. Uh, But there could be an argument made that there is a plain side of joy as well too, right? And... uh, but that's a sermon for another day. Through this letter, uh, we see these two things tracking side by side. We see the tension of these things that are there, of the pain side of joy and also this call to rejoice. And as I was thinking about this, it it struck me that it's, it's different than something like light and darkness. When you think about light and darkness, one needs to be absent in order for the other one to be present. I mean, if you go into a dark room and as soon as you bring light into the room, the darkness flees, it's gone. It's like they can't coexist. If one is there, the other one cannot be there. In fact, the reason that one is there is because the other one isn't there. And so they they work in opposites. They push each other out in a sense. And what strikes me is that joy and pain are different than that, different than light and darkness. Joy and pain are two things that seem to be opposites, seem to be things that repel each other, and yet we see in this text and we know from our life experience that they tend to kind of track together, that they coexist in this very uneasy partnership that that kind of meld together in our lives in different ways. And you already know this to be true. If you've lived any length of time, you know that there is some measure of truth in this. That even, even... amidst very deep experiences of pain. Even when you go through some really, really deep waters or a journey of suffering of one sort or another, that there are certain evidences of joy that come out, that are there, and they're tangible. And in part, when you're in the middle of the pain, you don't really exactly know what to do with it, but you can see it. 
And sometimes you can taste it. And sometimes you can even express it and identify it. But you know that it's there. And it's not a glib kind of joy or just a happiness kind of joy. It's, it's far deeper than that. It's a joy that, that has depth of field. It's a joy that has the edges rubbed off. It's a joy that uh, comes with substance and with so much more behind it. Kay Warren uh, gives a definition of joy in this way, and I, I like her definition. She says, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. And so it's, it's very different than something of just happiness or the feelings that we have at a certain moment. It's that time when we have absolutely nothing to hold on to and we strap ourselves to the mast of faith in God to ride out the storms of life in one way or another. Warren also talks about these two things tracking together, literally as tracks, saying it's sort of like two train tracks that are going side by side, running parallel, and how our life is, is like running along these two tracks. On one side there is this joy, and on the other side there is this pain and this difficulty. And they sort of go side by side. And, and the comment that she makes is that, but as you look far off into the distance, even though the tracks are separate here close, close at hand, far off in the distance, they merge together into one. And how the reality of our lives is that we experience these things together so often. And they kind of walk in, in parallel ways. Paul, at the end of this chapter, he also reminds us of that. He reminds the people that he is writing this letter to of the struggles and the sufferings that he is facing. And they are different than uh, what these people would necessarily be facing. But he talks about struggle and suffering as part of life and how they coexist together, sometimes in unusual form. And he calls them to remind them of their identity in, in Christ and also to this unity and to walk together in this. But then he says in verse 29 and 30, the end of this chapter, he says, for you have been... For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. So Paul acknowledges this reality of how these things go together and they're part of our life experience. As I mentioned earlier, we want to be true to this text and, and see what Paul is saying to these people in that context. But we also want to do it with certain specific issues in mind, certain issues that, that sort of collide with this text and this call to joy and rejoicing in one way or another. And throughout this series, one of the application points or the things that we want to touch on and look at is a prevalent area for many people, uh, an area of pain, and that is depression and mental illness. For people who are experiencing this or struggling with this, they would say it's complicated. It's very complicated. And when we have a conversation with joy, and even you see a big uh, sign in front of you with these big letters of, of joy in front, it, it would cause all kinds of things within you, understandably. But we want to talk about some of this unique pain that for so many is hard to articulate. Because people, well, they look fine on the outside. You'd never know it by just sort of meeting them or how they greet you or anything. But they aren't fine. And there's so much more that is going on inside. It's complicated because family and friends don't understand. They don't understand what's going on. They don't understand how it is that they can even help. It's also hard to predict who it is that would suffer with this. 
many, many people that you would never know and some that you do know. It's been much more prevalent in the news in the recent years as people have been talking about it more and more. And we have heard a lot from the Olympian uh, Clara Hughes, who has been uh, promoting the conversations around this. We saw it in the news not that long ago as Robin Williams took his own life as he struggled with these things uh, for many, many years. Uh, TSN analyst Michael Landsberg has been, uh, done some documentaries on this and his own struggle with depression as well. As we look in Scripture, you see Old Testament characters and individuals who have also struggled deeply on one level or, or another. And we don't exactly know how to clinically sort of assess them, but definitely there is evidence of this. As we look at the story of Jonah, the story of Job, of Elijah, even King David, and some of the things as he wrote the Psalms that he wrote. But it also affects many around us as well. The unemployed, the employed, pastors, parishioners, uh, young, old, the people in your row that are sitting beside you, uh, the person sitting in your seat possibly. Not, not the person who took your seat this morning so you have to go sit somewhere else. But maybe the person actually sitting in your seat. Maybe it's you. There are so many people that this affects in all kinds of different ways. Canadian Mental Health Association would state that statistically every single person in your row, in other words, every person, will come up against this or be impacted by this topic in one way or another, either through family, friends, or colleagues. Every single one of us will interact with this on a personal level in some way, even if it's not touching us personally, directly. Mental illness affects all kinds of people of all ages, education, income levels, cultures. Statistics from the Canadian Mental Health Association state that 20% of Canadians will struggle with mental illness. 8% of Canadians will also struggle with major depression. We've heard even in the last number of years as people have shared some of their baptism Uh, testimonies and membership stories. We've heard people who have struggled as well with depression and mental illness in one way or another. Some who have made their way through it and come out on the other side and others who still struggle every single day. It's a particular kind of pain that is for many people all too real. And uh, I want to have this text and this month allow us some opportunities to speak to all of us, that this text would speak to all of us, not just to those who struggle, but also to those who struggle with those who struggle, to those who try to walk alongside and understand and to care and to be more keenly aware of the challenges and to be sensitive in unique ways, to see the personalness of this. And you know, for me, as I, as I think about this topic, especially as we relate it to this text in Philippians, it, it's something that definitely feels out of my depth to talk about. So I want to speak carefully about it. We'll need your grace in that. But I know for me, even there have been two seasons in my life uh, for significant periods of time where I have tasted what depression felt like and know a little bit about the darkness and depth of despair that 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 experience can be. And the confusion around that and not understanding the source of it or not understanding exactly at all how to get out of it and not seeing any hope beyond it in the moment and needing other people around me to say things to me and to pray for me in ways that I just absolutely could not do myself at that time. 
And so I have a bit of a sense. And that's why I am thankful and I do give thanks to God. And I say, Lord, thank you for that experience in order to have at least a measure of understanding and sensitivity to others who maybe are experiencing that now. To know just a little bit of how complicated it actually can be in so many ways. And so it's important that we provide space and permission to talk about it. And we will do that in the weeks ahead in a number of ways. And I'll share some things from some testimonies even today, but also we'll have opportunities in the weeks ahead to hear other testimonies. And later this month, we're going to have some lifetime sessions where we will have some discussions around this as well. A friend of mine who uh, has suffered deeply uh, with this himself gave me a list of some tension points around this topic. And he said this, tension points are around the many unique experiences of those suffering with no consistent path to healing. The path to healing looks so different for every person. Another tension point is just the stigma that comes with mental illness. Another tension point is the frustration of not knowing how to help someone else with depression. Our intuition might be to fix people or to do something when listening or doing nothing is sometimes the most helpful. People with depression may not know uh, what they want or even how friends can help them. It's really tough to help people with a hope deficit. And also he states, the loneliness of mental illness can be absolutely overwhelming. And also another tension or challenge is that the people who uh, have depression, they don't receive trite advice very well. It becomes very difficult. And so Bible verses can feel very insensitive or even worse in the wrong hands. And understandably so. And this is one of the tensions even as we think about Philippians and look at this text in Philippians, which has some of the most powerful statements in this area and such powerful, memorable statements. And it's probably one of the letters that Paul wrote that has most of the more memorable phrases that we can more easily quote. Powerful truths, and yet if used in ways that are not sensitive or caring, can come across so trite and out of context. Things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Incredibly powerful truths of Scripture and truths of God, all from Philippians, which can come across so differently if out of context or said in a way that isn't in relationship or out of a deep understanding and empathy. And so again, this real letter that Paul has written to real people that we know virtually nothing about in terms of their actual circumstances. We don't really understand. We know that Paul is in prison, as we said, awaiting trial with an unknown future. We know that he has experienced all kinds of physical suffering. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten with lashes. He's in prison. So we know that he knows physical suffering on many levels. But we also know that Paul understood emotional suffering on many levels. He knew what it meant to be abandoned by some of his closest friends. He knew what it meant to be betrayed. He knew what it meant to be falsely accused. He understood some of those things at a very deep level. And so Paul has this unusual joy that comes from very different places than just how he feels in a given day. He understood pain and anguish and suffering at very 
deep levels. We don't get a sense from his writings whether or not he suffered from what we would call clinical depression. We don't know that. But we do know that he did understand deep inner struggles. You flip back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. There's an interesting line that has been great encouragement but also challenge to me at different times as Paul is writing to another church now and he's writing to the people in Corinth uh, in 2 Corinthians 7 but he's, he's writing about the people in Philippi because Macedonia is the region surrounding the, the, the city of Philippi and so he's writing about these people so we get a bit of a sense of the context that Philippians was, was all about, was written in uh, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and he says this in uh, verse 5 to 7. He says, when we arrived in Macedonia, which is the area around Philippi, he says, there was no rest for us. He says, we face conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. And he says, his presence was a joy. So we hear, we see from this text, some of the things that Paul was experienced. We see that that he understood what conflict was about. He says there was conflict from every direction. In fact, he describes them as battles. He says there was battles on the outside. So externally, there was all kinds of things going on. But internally, there was also all kinds of fear. And fear, for whatever the cause or whatever the source or whatever the root, becomes one of the most immobilizing things that we can encounter. And so Paul is, is saying... Yeah, when I was in Philippi, when I was in this area of Macedonia, he says, this is some of the things that we were saying, we were experiencing. This is some of the things that I was experiencing. But then he says, and I love this part where he, he talks about how Timothy comes into the scene, how God encourages those who are discouraged. And how did he do it? Well, he sent Timothy. And he says, Timothy's presence was a joy. I find that so challenging. And, and such a good word to those of us who want to come alongside those who have those deep inner struggles, those deep places of darkness and pain, that we might be spoken of in that kind of way where, where others would say, oh, that your presence was such a joy. God used this Timothy as a person of great encouragement. And I think one of the goals for all of us as we walk through this series is to become more like Timothy in that way. That, that people might say of us that our presence was a joy, even in the midst of our pain. We get a sense that empathy and sympathy are very different. Empathy is perspective-taking. Empathy is pausing to understand uh, more deeply what a person is experiencing in their lives. Not necessarily trying to solve the problem, but just feeling with somebody. Empathy is a choice to even to reconnect with your own pain. Not in order to tell your story and to one-up the other person and say, well, if you think that's bad, you know, here's, no. But to reconnect with your own pain internally in your own way in order to come alongside and more intimately connect with the other person's pain. Empathy never starts with the words, at least. Well, you know, at least it's not like this. Or at least you haven't experienced that. But empathy comes alongside and rather sounds like this. It says, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just... Glad that you told me. Rarely does response make a difference or make it better. What people need in these moments is connection, true connection. And if some of you are familiar with the story of Job, which I know uh, some of you are only too intimately aware and familiar with the story of Job, a story of deep suffering, 
What always strikes me about that story is how when Job's friends came to him in the midst of his deep pain and anguish, they started out so well. I mean, they just sat with him literally for days and said nothing. The problem came when they started to open their mouth and they started to say things and they started to fix things and they started to make judgments and declare what was going on and to help Job see what he needed to do in order to have it all get better. They did so well up until then. I think it's a good caution for so many of us, too, of just the need for that physical presence. I want to leave us with just two applications, maybe, from this text in Philippians chapter 1 that might uh, connect to all of us, whether it's us, if we are individuals struggling with mental illness, depression ourselves, or if we are those who are walking alongside others who struggle. Because I think there's lots here for both to learn from. So two applications. First of all, that we need hope and purpose beyond ourselves. That every one of us needs hope and purpose beyond ourselves. We see that in Paul and his writings incredibly. This reality and the hope of the gospel that he proclaimed and that he hung on to, that he clung to, that he walked and he gave his life for. And whatever circumstances that he found himself in and whatever lay ahead, it didn't matter if The gospel was being proclaimed and his hope was in something beyond himself and his context in the immediate. This hope affected every part of him. He had a faith and a confidence in God so intimately that he would would say, and he did say, like if you are in Christ, your future is entirely in certain hands. Your future is entirely certain, regardless of what happens. And so he declared that in such powerful ways. In verse 20, to 22 or to 24, we, we read those verses that often are also quoted. Paul says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or whether I die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. His struggle here is not a suicidal struggle. His struggle here is this reality of his desire to be with God, to be with Jesus, this one that he loves and that he longs to be with. But he recognizes so intimately and ultimately that the choice for, to live or to die for Paul is completely in God's hands. He does not have control over that. And so he's, he's saying that I put my faith in the living God. And he says, so whether the outcome of this trial, whether the outcome of my life is that my life is short and that I die or that I continue to live and to proclaim the gospel, he says, it doesn't matter because I put my hope in something else and God ultimately is the one who is in control of this. And he realizes that he was put there for a greater purpose. So first point, that we need a hope and a purpose beyond ourselves, even though at times it's really hard to see that. The second thing that I would say that I see coming out of this text is the need for community. Is the need for community. As you read uh, chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says, For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. And so again, he's pointing here and in so many of these chapters, in so many of these verses, he's pointing to this group of people, these partners uh, in the gospel, and he's saying, I need you. And he's talking about the power of the prayer of saints, the power of the, of the praying community that he so desperately needs. And yet it's really hard at times because we know that it's hard to be in community in times of pain. 
and sometimes even when the community itself is the place where the pain originated from. Again, my friend made this quote related to coming to church and being in church in the times of darkness. And he said, one of the loneliest places is church since it should be a better place. Why did I come? Will it soon be over so that I can try to avoid eye contact with anyone in the foyer and escape? And yet understanding people who are going through that and being more like Timothy to express empathy and to express support and hope and prayer is so critical. And sadly, we we know only too well that it's at times of pain where people most often withdraw from community and pull back and just sort of draw, draw away. When it's really when we need others who are praying for us when we can't pray. And others who can proclaim a faith that we can't put a finger on at that moment. And that we can see the need of community and to see the reality of God in the lives of other people that a community might even be a place of healing. And just to conclude, I want to read just one paragraph from a testimony of a woman who struggles deeply as well with depression and said this about the question of how does a faith community help? And she says, How may a fellow Christian encourage another believer? Walk with, sit with, be silent with. Leave behind eloquence and enter into the trenches with your friend. Raw and unpolished is all that matters. It is all that is felt. Facades merely alienate. Walk the trenches with your friend, joining in the pain, the darkness. At least the person will not be alone. Helpless you feel, but that is okay. You can be helpless together. Emotions mean little. If words must be used, speak of faith, of patience, of understanding. Remember the prophet who suffered for years? Think of King David's lament or even the descriptive sorrows in the book of Lamentations. They understood pain, suffering, and feeling without joy. Bear patiently the heaviness of black. Tis a season, a long one, but it is a season. Joy may be a result of faith. It's not an immediate emotion, but rather the outcome of a long, dark, harsh season of faith. A faith in the God who knows all, understands all, and loves all. A faith which carries when, no, when, when one knows nothing else. This faith remains when all emotions of relationship are void. With God, he doesn't require emotion to stay in the relationship. He's got you, even when all you have is the smallest fraction of faith that he is. Faith is the answer, the logic, the reason, and joy is only a result. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you as a Father who heals, who loves us, and we confess that as people, we often struggle with how to live in community. And we know that there are people who walk among us in our midst, and sometimes it's us who walk with deep pain. And Lord, forgive us for when we have been an insensitive community and help us to be more and more like Timothy. And I pray, Lord, that we would be the kind of people that others might be able to say their presence was a joy. So Lord, I pray specifically now for those who are in dark places here today. I pray that even as we walk through this series and these texts and the different responses that that nothing would be of a hurtful nature, but an expression of care and of love. And Lord, as there are those who are not able to articulate joy in any way during these times, that they would be encouraged at least by the faith and the praise of others to the living God. And so, Lord, we pray for your healing. We thank you for the hope and the truth of the gospel. May we cling to it as Paul did. And we give you all the praise and glory 
for what you want to do and what you will do as we allow your spirit to work within us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.